listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For Green Biz Radio, this is Jonathan Bartolini. Kristen Ritchie is the Director of Sustainable Design with Gensler, the international architecture, design, and planning firm based in San Francisco. Today, she talks with GreenBiz Associate Editor Leslie Guevara about adaptive reuse, a practice that gives new life to old buildings. Kirsten Ritchie, welcome to Green Biz Radio. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Leslie, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Please talk to us about adaptive reuse. Why are we hearing more and more about this strategy these days? Uh, Certainly, I'd love to chat about it with you. What I first would like to do for our listening audience is have them understand what adaptive reuse is, or when we use that term, what we believe it is. Adaptive reuse is where you're actually taking an existing building and you're repositioning its function. So, for example, you have a situation where you had an old manufacturing plant and you're transforming its use to commercial office. We have that example right here in our offices in San Francisco where we are located in the old Hills Brothers Coffee Building. Um, And it was originally a coffee plant built in the turn of the century, and now it has wonderful commercial offices in it. Another example would be for uh, our uh, ferry building, which, um, of course, was originally built as a terminal for for all the ferries that were plowing the bay, and now it is a wonderful market hall. So when we talk, again, adaptive reuse, that's what we mean. We mean taking taking a building and really um, repurposing it for use that is, is uh, popular and needed in today's marketplace. So why are we hearing so much about adaptive reuse? And well, you, know, you, you see it in, in the newspapers, of course, a lot in the design magazines, a lot in the development area. And the reason for that is, first of all, we have a huge amount of existing building stock, and we need to be smarter about using it, particularly if you look at like the older buildings. They, are, they have wonderful bones from a design perspective. They have high floor-to-floor ceiling heights that allows us to bring in a lot of natural daylight. It allows for good circulation systems. It allows you to optimize how you set up your lighting systems. And of course, they, the, the buildings themselves are pretty strong, sturdy buildings. They've been around so long, and they have a lot of materials in them, and you want to take advantage of that. Also, the buildings in particular that were built you know, with the earlier part of the century were designed to optimize their performance in, the, in what we call the passive state. That is, being able to take advantage of solar orientation and wind and natural ventilation, because we didn't have such you know, reliance that we do now on, a, on mechanical systems for our comfort. So they're very smartly designed buildings. Uh, the only thing is that their use or what they were originally designed for is no longer needed. And so what you now want to do is say, how can I take this building that's, for example, plunked down in the middle of a city, an old manufacturing plant, and take advantage of it because we need housing or we need offices or we need hotels, and can we use these buildings to provide that function? And the answer is absolutely yes. And so you know, we're really looking being getting so much smarter about repositioning and reusing and adapting the use of these buildings to meet needs that we have in the marketplace right now. Now, we're talking about ways to transform the built environment, and it sounds like this is part of the same extended family of strategies that could include industrial infills and retrofits. How is adaptive reuse different, or is it different? It's part of the, the whole, you know, I think, the package. What you do want to have from a green perspective or sustainability perspective to, to really make your cities or any area environment, you need to have uh, good density and you need to have mixtures of uses. And so, um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, uh, like, for example, infill, infill is a situation where you already have low density and you're trying to increase the density. In the case of brownfield redevelopment, you've had, you know, industrial activities that have contaminated the surrounding environments and you need to clean them up. And unfortunately, in many cases, that means you have to bring down the buildings themselves because they've been, you know, quite contaminated and 
and you have to address the underlying soils. In the case of adaptive reuse, you've got a building, you've got good bones, but it's just, you know, it's, it's use it doesn't really fit with what's growing up around it, and so you, you can modify that by, again, saying, what, what do we need here? Are we in an area that's heavily commercial and maybe we need to have more housing? Are we in an area that is, that, you know, is heavy and residential, but potentially we need more market space or we need more retail or we need more entertainment space, and can we use buildings for that purpose? What you're looking at from an adaptive reuse perspective is saying, you know, if we really want to do something about our energy consumption and we really want to do something about the carbon issue, we have to get, we have to improve the performance of the existing building stock, big time. We have, you know, over 300 billion square feet of buildings in the United States that are already built, and we have a lot of, you know, great green rating systems that are out there, kind of more focused though on new construction. And but, you know, to get our energy down, we've got to go after those 300 million square feet of existing building. And by going into an existing building, adapting its reuse, improving its performance being smarter how you manage, you know, for example, manage daylight and provide thermal comfort, we can significantly reduce the energy consumption associated with the operating of that building as well. So you know, there are multiple benefits to be derived from taking existing building stock and adapting use to both benefit the community as well as benefit the environment. Can any firm, big or small, take on a project like this? Oh, absolutely, because the, the reality is the size of adaptive reuse projects themselves range tremendously. Um, you know, a great one fun example is the McMinimus Corporation up in, uh, up in the northwest area where they've taken a lot of, like, schools, you know, small schools, and they've adapted them and turned them into inns. That's on one scale. On another scale, you have, you know, the big, the, the, the Ferry Plaza project. You have a, another example is a, a big project that we worked on in Chicago, which actually is our offices. It's three department stores that are linked together um, to provide now commercial offices. These were all built in the 1930s and 1940s. And it's interesting because you can actually see the variation architecture across the buildings, but by being smart about how you design them, how you link them, how you, how you fit them out, you know, you provide a seamless experience. And yet you're, you're linking very different architecture. So, you know, it really goes from the smallest project of, you know, even 100 or 1,000 square feet to hundreds of thousands of square feet when you're talking about fitting out all factories. That's incredible flexibility. Can you give us an idea of how this would work? I mean, how can all this be put into action and how can a firm take a project like this on? starts with the passion of the client and what the client is interested in doing. Kimpton is a, is a great example. You know, they really focus on building their hotels in existing buildings. And the, you know, taking, whether it's a commercial office building or an old factory and converting it out into, into a hotel. Now, clearly, they have a lot of experience with it now, and they're getting smarter and better and, and know things to watch for. Uh, once you have the decision that you say, yes, we want to take, we like the building, we like the location, it's going to meet the needs that we are looking for, then it's a question of really saying, okay, you've got, you've got to go and you've got to start doing, you know, the hard nuts and bolts taking the measurements. What really do you have to work with? You know, what do the bones look like? In many cases, you're peeling away decades of excess wallboard and, you know, all kinds of things, paint, whether it's, in some cases, asbestos, you have to be concerned about, uh, you know, about what environmental hazards may be in some of these older buildings. Do you have PCB transformers that are still in the building? So you have to, you know, kind of get the inventory of that and, and, and take care of that. Look to see the exist for the existing heating and cooling equipment. Is it still operational? Can you retrofit it, modify it, or are you really going to need to, you know, to put in a whole new system? So doing the inventory of what it takes. 
And then, you know, looking at all the different options, say, how can we really improve the space? Get, can, what do we want to get at from a daylight perspective, from a comfort perspective, from a, an acoustical perspective? All those attributes you have to come into play in, you know, how you lay out the space that you're going to be using, how you provide for entry and exit, how you provide for a, a lot of the common things that one has to address when you're designing buildings of fire life safety, of course. What are the challenges or concerns for firms taking on these sort of projects? Is it a case of people perhaps having great passion but not quite having their ideas in alignment as to what they have in hand and what they want to do with it? For example, you help, if you will, manage what they want to do so it's a better fit. Well, I think, you know, one of the issues they always have to deal with is the issue of cost. And people's perception is, oh, well, I already have the existing building, so, you know, fitting it out is going to be cheaper than if I built something new. And, as, you know, we all have that experience when we do a home remodel and you realize, uh, Exactly. Uh, so, you know, that's number one. It's just like a way setting realistic expectations on the part of, of, of the client, both from a, from a cost perspective as well as a schedule perspective. You have to, when you're dealing with existing buildings, you are dealing with a much higher set of unknowns than you're dealing with a new building um, because you don't, know, you don't you know. You don't necessarily have a great record of what really has been done to the building over the course of its life in terms of retrofits. You know, you don't know, you know, what, what, what they've really done in terms of changing windows or changing the you know, ceilings or punched holes someplace with not a plans to provide for staircases or close them up. So, um, you know, having those kinds of unknowns um, is, it makes things a little bit trickier and, of course, can always affect schedule. So you have to be, uh, you have to be more cognizant of that and you have to build that into your plan. Um, and, uh, you know, but the, the, the ultimate deliverable or the benefit at the end when you see these spaces and how they come together, it's like, well, this is a no-brainer. Of course we need to do it. So it's, it's always keeping, you know, setting out what the criteria are, being realistic um, about, you know, the, uh, the cost, the schedule, having a system for which you're going to, you know, to how you're going to address the unknowns that become exposed and, such, and, and design it in such a way that, that you can accommodate them, right? So the flexibility in design and the flexibility of construction process is really important. Are there some stars in some of the things that you've done, just standout projects that you want to take a moment to tell us about and that we can tell listeners about so as they travel around the country they can go, oh, yeah, that's one of those projects. <laughs> well, uh, there. I mean, we have a lot of them. Gensler really started working on the commercial in, on, on the interiors of buildings, and so as a result, we've been doing you know kind of adaptive reuse for forty plus years. So at wherever you have the, you know number one places, just look for where Gensler office is because chances are it's part of an adaptive reuse project. But some of the really interesting ones I mentioned earlier, the kind of like the Hills Brothers project here in, in San Francisco, which is on the corner of Harrison and Barcadero right near the foot of the Bay Bridge. A beautiful, beautiful old brick building. So, of course, there you have the challenges of dealing with masonry and needing to reinforce. It's also somewhat historic, and so we have to deal with the issues of single-pane glass. If you look and you see what's been done in terms of that space, you know, with, with kind of some retail on the ground level, we've got Starbucks, we've got a couple of restaurants, and then the commercial office space is really quite beautiful. Another project that's recently um, actually just been uh, gone out is Center for Halstead, which is in Chicago, and that is an interesting mixed-use adaptive reuse, where, again, it was an old kind of retail department store, and it's been turned into a very lively community center, as well as with a whole foods market, and uh, that's, a, you know, another neat project to look at. You have the, uh, as I mentioned, the Kimpton projects, and um, we're working on one right now with them in, uh, in Pittsburgh. It's the Architects Museum. 
and that's another great you know place that you go and that demonstrates kind of how you use adaptive reuse in the hospitality marketplace. In many cases, if you go into kind of the old downtown areas of, of cities or where there were industrial areas, you've got these great old brick or masonry buildings, you can often find wonderful examples of adaptive reuse. Great. What top-of-mind thoughts would you like to leave listeners with about green building and adaptive reuse? Well, I think the first thing is to think that adaptive reuse is really the ultimate in terms of green building because you are you are taking full advantage of the materials that are there. You also have the history of place which certainly speaks to green building and building the sense of community, which is so important from a sustainable perspective. It has its challenges. You know, there are other people who say, oh, it's so much easier to just tear it down and build something new. But I think you should always look at a building first and say, hey, is this appropriate? Can we, you know, adapt the reuse of this or adapt the use of this building to deliver what we want? Or do we really have to go the brutal step of tearing it down and building something new? I think it's being creative about space. You know, don't think that we're going to just stick, take a space, for example, and if you need something for office, and, you know, slap a bunch of on offices against the windows so you don't get light coming in. speaks to needing to be adaptive in how you approach that, that particular market, again, whether it's office or if you look at, like, the, for example, the Ferry Plaza and how it's a market, but it really is this, this you know, constellation of all the little you know, stalls and how you make that work. So you have to, it's not like a big old supermarket with a certain formulaic uh, approach. You have to be very creative to be successful. I think the most successful adaptive reuse projects are those that really have allowed a lot of creativity and that creativity to be able to show through in the design and, more importantly, the experience for the visitor. Wonderful. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.